Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Today we get a great malicious compliance against an awful coworker. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, you're not sharpening those drill bits correctly, Sergeant. I feel like World War II's chock full of military stories is one of those bottomless veins of gold where you discover more the more you dig. This story comes from my grandfather, from whom I inherit my love of pranks, most of my sense of humor, and probably my deep appreciation for schadenfreude. Like many of his stories, I heard this one as a kid many times, usually in front of a fire with snow falling outside and always accompanied by an eye roll and a tart comment or two from my long-suffering grandmother. Gramps was a master machinist going into the war, and he had quite a bit more experience than most people with engines and engineering. He was one of those guys that would look at just about anything mechanical with both reverence and a critical eye for making it better, and his knack for success inspired the Army Air Corps to snatch him up and plop him back down in the Midwest as a crew chief. My understanding, and I don't have any military experience here, but this is what I've been told, is that the senior non-commissioned officer in charge of the maintenance, repair, upkeep, and general functioning of a squadron is the guy that actually owned those planes. From what Gramps always said, his attitude was that he loaned the pilots his planes, and they were expected to bring them back in roughly the same condition as they were in when they went up. When they were on the ground, The aircraft and everything used to maintain them was part of his kingdom. One fine day, a very new, fresh out-of-the-box lieutenant, still with that new officer's smell, introduced himself to Gramps and the other guys in the unit, as they were sitting in back of one of the maintenance bays, sharpening up a big double set of drill bits that had been getting more use than usual, and by introduced, I mean came in shouting about how they were doing it all wrong. He knew all about what they were doing, of course, and so just knew that the drill bit sharpening they were doing was actually going to ruin the bits and waste war resources, and did they want the crowds to win? He showed them all the right way to do it and wasn't going to take any lip. My grandfather was not the sort of guy that was able to keep his mouth shut, which is probably another reason they put him in charge of mechanical things that tended not to get uppity with him. I also inherited this congenital condition, but that's a separate tragedy entirely. He protested that the lieutenant's direction actually was incorrect, and got about two-thirds of the way into what he was about to say before the officer decided that he'd had enough back talk and gave him weekend night shift guard duty. Gramps eyeballed him a bit and would always say at this point in the story that he felt compelled to obey the lieutenant because he was just so shiny. So he smiled and said, Yes, sir, shut his mouth, and that was that. This was well before the army had put tons of resources into things that weren't war critical. The air base Gramps was stationed at was essentially a dirt-slash-grass airfield, with hangars plopped down and utterly without any pretense at pavement anywhere at sight. Consequently, the main traffic artery right behind the hangars, and which one I had to go down when entering or leaving the base at all, was parallel to the airstrip 
and was the sort of thick, gooey, sticky, oobleck mud that one gets stuck in Nebraska when it's been raining down a lot and people have been driving army jeeps over the same patch of ground repeatedly. About halfway down, in the middle where the traffic had been the heaviest, there was what Gramps described as a puddle, in which he later clarified was nearly 300 feet long, 30 feet wide, totally unavoidable, and which would swallow up the unwary interloper who didn't keep going. Go too fast or too slow and you're screwed one way or the other. Go through slowly and don't stop and you'd probably be okay. Gramps positioned himself on Saturday night with his rifle and grimly determined to protect this Nebraska airbase in the middle of freaking nowhere from the Huns, waited about two-thirds of the way down this Charybdis-like vortex and waited. Lieutenant Shiny, along with a lot of other guys on the base, really liked taking his weekend pass in town because there were girls there which any self-respecting soldier knew was an opportunity one did not lightly pass up and which was the reason that Gramps had been assigned weekend sentry duty as just an extra little screw you. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Shiny came trundling back to base, and not in an army jeep. Oh no. His family evidently had money, or pull or something, because he had an actual nice car to get around in. With those big swoopy fenders and floorboards just outside the doors on both sides. He was playing it safe, Graham said, by not driving it down the middle of the road, masquerading as a muddy pond, as he was going along the side where it wasn't quite as deep and he was less likely to get stuck. But that also meant that the driver's side of the car was almost overhanging the deepest part of the mud. You can probably see where this is going. The duty of a sentry, of course, is to stop anyone they don't recognize from being on the base or near anything vital. And while Gramps knew perfectly well that Lieutenant Shiny was where he was supposed to be, he also knew that there was no way in heck during wartime he was going to get questioned about it. So he advanced. Just as Lieutenant Shiny got abreast of a particularly bad spot and hollered, HALT! in his best drill instructor voice. It got the message across and the car stopped immediately. Danger, Will Robinson. Window rolls down, top of Lieutenant Shiny's head pokes out and he yells back, Lieutenant Shiny, sentry returning from off base pass. Gramps yelled back from about 30 feet away, Advance and be recognized. Meaning, of course. I can't see you clearly where you are, come to where I can see you, or else. Frustrated, Lieutenant Shiny opened the door, dangerously close to the surface of the awaiting mud, and leaned out so the light caught him. He was in uniform, of course, all duded up as Gramps said, and wearing decidedly non-regulation boots with his uniform that came up to his knees, and were polished to the sort of shiny finish that NASA uses on telescope mirrors today. He yelled back again who he was, and was obviously frustrated and hoping that he hadn't just gotten stuck, but also he hadn't gotten any closer as he'd been commanded to by the very armed sentry that had just challenged him, and on some level, he knew it. The next steps, racking around into the chamber as a warning and a repeated command, advance and be recognized. Desperate but knowing there was no way out of this other than forward, Lieutenant Shiny stood on the floorboards of the car, now just level with the surface, and started to inch closer to it slowly and declared himself again, and was greeted with a loaded weapon pointed at him and a repeated command to advance and be recognized. 
I asked Gramps once what would have happened if he actually shot Lieutenant Chiney, and he's always said he was pretty sure he'd have been court-martialed at the least, but gosh darn it if he wasn't determined to make a point about this. And so Lieutenant Chiney finally stepped off the sideboards of his car, sank immediately to his knees with muddy goose slopping over the top of his boots, and sadly advanced. Gramps let him go two steps forward before shouldering his weapon again and snapping him the smartest of salutes. Sir, thank you, you may proceed. Lieutenant Shiny sadly got back into his car and valiantly tried to get it moving again to no avail. Mud was everywhere, inside and out, mud flying everywhere as his wheels spun, and eventually he gave up and trudged off to his barracks. By morning, they ended up having to use two jeeps and a come-along to yank that car out of the mud. Graham said that he got talked to briefly by someone above Lieutenant Shiny and basically told, don't do that again, but he said nothing much further came of it. Oddly enough, the subject of sharpening drill bits never came up again, and Lieutenant Shiny was always very careful about staying out of the maintenance bay unless he was going to be taking an aircraft up. You gotta love that the Gramps in the end got a slap on the wrist because you literally cannot argue that he did protocol at all in the wrong here. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit that subscribe button down below? The day pay per call backfired. This was three years ago. I no longer work for the company for stupid reasons I'll get into later as it deals with the premise as well. I worked for a phone insurance company as a customer representative working from home. Job wasn't hard, paid training and 3k sign-up bonus for work from home employees. The job stated that it was 16 hours and then we all got bumped to 17 once training started. In the middle of training, our supervisors told us that they were implementing a new pay policy that involved tying into more of a sales role. We now had the choice to be pay per call or hourly. Since they highlighted the choice, it made it seem like we'd had the option to stay hourly. Nope, had to try the new pay for 6 months before you were allowed to submit a request to go back to hourly. The pays aligned like this, $1 per call, $20 is added if a sale is made on the call, $2 if the customer was happy with the service. This was to drive sales and put it in your head that without sales, you are not eating. Malicious Compliance In the beginning of the new year 2021, our system got hacked and we were down for a day. Usually I got 30 to 50 calls per day with 3 to 4 sales. When the system went down, we were given an outage script and told to hang up immediately after. I'm a very fast talker when needed and immediately saw the chance to make my biggest paycheck. In the span of a 3 day outage, I had taken over 900 calls and my next check was the last installment of the bonus. I told my supervisor that we'll get paid the $3 per call still, and they said yes. Ended up getting a check of over 3000 just for the calls from those 3 days, plus 1000 for being the last installment of the bonus, plus my sales for the 2 weeks. Later got fired because the laptop they issued got reset and I couldn't log in anymore. I called in and they told me to submit a ticket. Couldn't submit a ticket because I didn't have access to the system. Honestly, this sounds like a great Moneyball min-max scenario where you get like the statistics. You try to get the person off the phone fast enough, if you get enough people calling in, that outweighs any of the sales you'd make. Our next story is, wanna switch sections? Okay. A couple of years ago, I was waiting tables at this restaurant in Jersey. 
This story took place during our slow season and it was pretty competitive between all the servers. Every server wanted the better section and the bigger tables since our overall tips were lower than usual. We didn't pool tips. It got pretty cutthroat at times. I was doing okay financially so I wasn't as money hungry as everyone else. I personally get time anxiety so I hate being late to things. So if my shift starts at 5, I'm walking into work at 4.45 to get settled, then clocking in at 5 to get to work. My coworker Kayla, however, had a different attitude. She would walk into work at 5 o'clock on the dot and clock in and then head right to the bathroom to put on her makeup, which took her about 15 minutes. On most days, it was slow enough that it wasn't an issue, but it still wasn't right. Call me old-fashioned, but when your shift starts at 5... You should start working at 5 and not apply makeup while on the clock while you have other duties to take care of. I've never had to deal with putting on makeup, but it just seemed to me that she should have taken more time while getting ready to come to work to put it on. I've always let it slide because I'm non-confrontational, but it bothered other co-workers. However, management never got around to addressing it. One day, I walked in at my usual time, and as I clocked in at 5, I saw Kayla clock in as well and scurry off to the bathroom. I roll my eyes and walk over to the host station where there's two people waiting. The host asked Kayla if she was here yet because she was up for her first table in the rotation. I told her she was getting ready in the bathroom. The host rolled her eyes and went to tell her she was going to get sat. We all knew she was putting on her makeup. We weren't going to hassle her if she was on the toilet. I didn't hear the exact back and forth they had, but it took longer than I expected. The last thing I heard Kayla say was, Just switch my section and I'll take the next one, I don't care. So the host sauntered back to me with a grin saying, You're up for this table, wanna help me set it up? I'm confused. Set it up? It's only two people. They say, oh no, it's a party of 14. This is Mr. Moneybag's niece and nephew. The rest of the family's on their way. For context, Mr. Moneybag's, not his real name obviously, but would have been awesome if it was, was a very wealthy and well-known man in our area. He made his fortune in landscaping and then moved on to real estate. And believe it or not, he was one of the few affluent people in our area that wasn't an entitled jerk. Me and the host set up the table in record time just as the rest of the party arrived. Everyone began to sat down as I greeted everyone, and just as luck would have it, I gave Mr. Moneybags a handshake as I locked eyes with a dolled-up Kayla as she entered the dining room and she realized that she had did this to herself. The next two hours, I waited on my 14-top table as Kayla waited on two tops. She actually had a table not tip at all, which is awful and I don't condone, but in this particular situation, oh well. And of course, she kicked herself again when she looked over at my table's check and saw the fat tip I was getting off my big table. Oh well, get ready for work before work, not at work. I'm just impressed where you're working a job that almost solely relies on getting tips from people and you're trying to like take the first 10-15 minutes to just prepare. It just seems like the kind of job where if you're there you kind of want to be working, otherwise you're throwing away a lot of potential earnings because you're probably making 2 to $5 an hour. Make me take PT every month will you? I was in the US Army and the Army National Guard for over 20 years. I did finally get my pension, but I was ready to throw all that time away because of the... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Inability of a first lieutenant to count to eight. We had an annual APFT scheduled as part of a drill weekend. A drill weekend consisted of four unit training assemblies, or UTAs. Each UTA was equivalent to a day of active duty pay. The duty day started at 7 a.m., lunch at 12, final formation at 4.30 p.m., then released for the day unless an overnighter was on the training schedule. Promotions were contingent on passing the Army Physical Fitness Test, as well as a bunch of other random qualifications such as military schools, professional development, military awards and decorations, rifle qualification, civilian training and or schooling, and college degrees. The APFT consisted of three events, push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. It's since been changed, but that's what it was when I was in. I'm a natural runner. I ran track in high school. Tall and lean with good stamina. Not too fast, but I was steady. Six-minute miles all day long. Sit-ups were never a problem for me. Push-ups, however, not much for upper body strength. I've always struggled with push-ups. It's the only event of the APFT that I ever actively trained. I could max out the other two events, but push-ups? I was happy if I could make the minimum required to pass the test. I was up for promotion. I trained push-ups for months prior to the test. On the day of the test, one of the smokers in the unit wanted to run with me, to pace off me so he could pass the PT test. I did the required number of push-ups to pass that event, and I was flying high, knowing the two other events were easy for me. We ran on a quarter-mile high school track, eight laps for two miles, and as we passed our score, in this case the idiot first lieutenant, we'd yell out our last name and he'd check off the completed lap. My buddy and I ran side by side for all eight laps, and when we got to the last lap, the lieutenant said I had another one to do. We explained that we ran together for all eight laps, and if one of us passed, both of us passed, but he wasn't buying it. He made a mistake and couldn't admit it. He was adamant that I had to run another lap, and because I was running slower than I normally would have to let the smoker keep up, I couldn't complete another lap in the time required to pass the test. I was marked as a PT failure and wasn't eligible for promotion. 
Because I was an NCO, there wasn't that many slots that opened up in a year in my job classification. The opening went to another NCO farther down the promotion list than me. I was pissed. My civilian job was in manufacturing. We worked a three on, three off schedule. I worked nights. Weekends were our big money weeks. In order to attend a drill week, I'd have to miss work Friday night, Saturday and Sunday night. I'd lose about $600 for attending drill. Occasionally, we could be approved for missing drill, as long as we made it up during that month, or we could just take no pay for drill and miss those days towards creditable retirement. At some point, leadership decided that all PT failures would take a PT test every month until they passed. Failure to show up for the PT test would be an automatic forfeiture of pay and retirement points. Eligibility for retirement was based on having a good year. A good year was 50 points. Each UTA was 1 point. Annual training was 15 points, leaving 35 points needed from drill weekends. In a year, I could miss 3 drill weekends and as long as I made all the rest, I was eligible for a good year. I saved those excused drills for the weeks I was scheduled to work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday so I wouldn't lose the $600 difference from my civilian job and drill pay. Now, back to those mandatory PT tests every weekend. Leadership decided that we couldn't miss the schedule training, so the PT test would be held before drill, at 5.30 a.m. at an armory 30 miles farther away from my unit's armory. To be at the PT test armory on time for the test meant that I had to get up at 3.30 a.m., get dressed, drive almost two hours, and then do the test. Cue malicious compliance. If I was going to be inconvenienced by this idiocy, so is my scorer. I would show up for the test, sign in, do one push-up, one sit-up, one lap, and call it good. Drive to my unit and report that I failed the PT test and go to work and still get paid. Every month. My first sergeant pulled me aside one day and asked what was going on. He said I knew I could pass the test. I explained that I already passed the test, but that the lieutenant never passed kindergarten counting. If they wanted to hold the PT test during duty hours, I'd be more than happy to try to pass. But there was zero incentive for me to do so as long as I had to drive two hours to take the test at 5.30 a.m. Another drill weekend, it snows quite a bit and it slows my drive down. So I get to the PT test a few minutes after it started. The lieutenant in charge said it was too late and I couldn't start now. Okay, whatever. Drive to my unit to report in that I wasn't allowed to take the test. Then I'm being informed that I'm getting an unsat for refusing to do the PT test and wouldn't be paid for the UTA. Okay, if I'm not being paid, I'm leaving and we'll be back in four hours. Nope, if you leave, you'll get another unsat. I realize then that means I don't have a good year, I'll only have 49 points. Screw it, I quit then. I had over 18 years in, re-enlisted for 6 more right before the failed PT test I passed, and I just walked away. No more stupid chicken crap and no more losing money. In years past, some National Guard units were known to carry soldiers on their rolls. The unit would report that the soldiers were present for duty when they were not, and unit administrators would pocket their pay, or create company slush funds. Sometimes those soldiers were almost ready to collect pensions and were kicked out, and the state saved those pension payments. Now, after 18 years, soldiers are locked in, and units are unable to discharge them. 
You can quit, like I did, and ask for a discharge, and the National Guard Bureau will kick it back, denying it like they did with me. I still had four years on my current enlistment. They wouldn't and couldn't release me. Meanwhile, the State National Guard Bureau would get a report of soldiers not showing up for drill. My name kept appearing. Uncomfortable questions were asked why someone with all this time in my rank would just walk away. My situation became an embarrassment for the state. How are they going to get my name off this report every month? Why did this happen? How did we fail a soldier with one year left until retirement eligibility? A friend of mine was a senior NCO, and in one of those meetings, he raised his hand and volunteered a way to get me off this list and not do anything illegal or fraudulent. I was transferred to his unit. I attended drill at this unit just a few miles from my house on my days off during the week and reported to him. All I needed was 50 points and that would give me a good year and I could retire with my 20 years in. I could also do military correspondence courses for retirement points, which wasn't available when I quit. When I attended enough UTAs and completed the courses, I got my 50 points, I received my eligibility for retirement letter, and I promised my friend he could have half of it. Unfortunately, my friend passed away at age 55 a year or so after he finally retired, after 30 plus years in uniform. At his funeral, another retired senior NCO spoke and reflected on my friend's ability to think outside the box and referenced my situation. Yes, I'm happily collecting my pension, but I'll never forget him and what he did for me. I feel bad because it's definitely a matter of pride in this situation. You know you did it and they screwed up. You don't want to have to slave away because somebody else can't count to eight. Our next story is a little mileage or a lot of taxi fares. Oh, you want taxi fares? Done. I live in a commuter city about 60 kilometers from my old workplace. I traveled for work pretty frequently and needed to get to and from the airport. My office happens to be about 8 kilometers from the airport. Finance instituted a rule that they would only reimburse mileage the lesser of the distance from home or the distance from the office. So when driving to the airport and being reimbursed for 68 kilometers each way, I was reimbursed for 8. After reimbursement and leaving extra time to park in the value lot and take the shuttle, I saved the company a lot of money on my one to two night trips by driving. I was deep in the, we're a family, this is good for the organization mindset. Cue the malicious compliance. Taxis were just reimbursed with little oversight from finance. I told my director how I was being screwed in exchange for my early mornings. And we agreed I'd no longer drive and submit expense reports. Instead, I would just cab it. By letting somebody else drive me, I saved an hour in the morning before I took off and an hour after I landed, and the company just had to pay double for a taxi or airport. Pedantic expense policies for the win. Enjoy it while you got it, because they're definitely going to look for a way to shut that down as soon as possible. Our next story is, car stereo goes out, we'll replace it with the oldest POS we can find. About 24 years ago, I was a sales manager for the now defunct Circuit City. This one particular day, I was acting as the floor manager. We had the ops, operations manager there, as well as the road shop manager, car audio. I get a call on the floor manager phone asking me to come to customer service to speak to someone. Customer service is the part of the store where customers would come in to return items or have them service under warranty, be in the manufacturer's or the Circuit City extended warranty. 
This department was headed by the operations manager with a customer service manager and associates working for them. As a sales manager, I was over several of the departments in the sales part of the store. For the most part, the ops manager was the end of the line for customer service issues, with a rare occasion of something escalating to the store manager. As a sales manager, there wasn't anything I could do that was beyond what the ops manager could do. In general, we didn't cross those lines unless requested to, or if we were covering for another manager on break or some other circumstance. This is why a request to speak to someone in customer service was out of the ordinary. Also, this particular day and time, the store manager was not there. So I walk into the customer service department and see a customer standing there with the road shop manager and operations manager behind the counter. I greet the customer politely and step behind the counter as the operations manager explains that the customer had a car stereo that was not working and that it was well outside the return period, 30 days, but still within the manufacturer's warranty with no extended warranty. The customer was insisting on a new stereo, and it didn't take long to figure out that he was heated and somewhat belligerent. To add a bit more context, within Circuit City, car stereo was like a store within a store. The road shop manager was the store manager for all of the car stereo and in this instance would have been the highest authority on a car stereo issue. Anyway, I think they needed someone fresh and level-headed to start over with the customer. As I began talking to the customer, the other two managers left the service department. We began discussing the situation with him telling me what he wanted and me responding with, well, what I can do for you is... We went back and forth for quite a while. He kept insisting that he wanted a new stereo while becoming louder and more aggressive. I just kept telling him what I could do for him rather than what I couldn't do. The solution I repeatedly offered was that we could pull his stereo and send it into service to be repaired under his manufacturer's warranty and put in a lender stereo he could use until his came back. Offering the lender radio was generally reserved for someone with a Circuit City extended warranty, which this guy didn't have. It was pretty much a stalemate. Through it all, I kept a calm, respectful demeanor. It was funny because this guy suddenly broke, as if he was breaking character. He started to grin and said something to the effect of, Oh man, you're good. Really good. I was just waiting for you to get upset or raise your voice or something, and I was going to come across that counter, but you're good. I got the impression that he wasn't exaggerating what he was willing to do. I responded with, Great. Let's get you set up. I get the ops manager back in there to process the service while I shake his hand and head back out to the floor. On the way to the floor, I queue up the malicious compliance. I call back to the road shop and talk to the road shop manager. I tell him, find the oldest radio you can to put in his vehicle for a loaner and call me if you have an issue. He'll be back there in a few minutes. Unbelievably, the road shop manager finds an old radio with a tape deck instead of a CD player. Now mind you, this was around 1998-1999. In-dash CD players and CD changers were the big thing aftermarket, but weren't the standard equipment in new vehicles till the late 90s. About 45 minutes later, I get the call asking me to come to the road shop. I absolutely know what's waiting for me. I figure I'll be spending an hour or so telling the customer, what I can do for you is... I go to the road shop and step outside and see the customer from earlier talking to the road shop manager. 
To my surprise, the customer looked up, saw me, and then looking defeated said, Never mind. He snatched his keys from the road shop manager's hand, got in his car, and left. We laughed about this for quite some time afterwards. Figuring some would ask, I'll add, I never saw the customer again, so I would assume he received his repaired stereo and had it reinstalled without any issue. Sadly, people being difficult like this and almost kind of threatening, it unfortunately probably works fairly often for them, which is why I'm assuming this guy reacts in that way. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>